0: to Yahweh in prayer. Father Yahweh, creator of all things, the master of the universe, we, uh, we come to you today, Father, on your Shabbat to worship you and to understand more of your word, and I ask that you be with me today, Father. Allow the words that I speak be your words, not mine, Father, and again, we just thank you, praise you, honor you, be with those that are hurting. Uh, my friend James and his, uh, his aunt, he just contacted me just not too long ago. Um, she's in the hospital, Father, and unresponsive. Please be with her, Father, and uh, be with James. Um, Again, we thank you, praise you, and honor you, your son, Yahshua. Hallelujah. You can all be seated. Do I got control? Okay. Buttons, like the arrow buttons are gone. (laughs) (laughs) To see which one's which, we'll find out, I guess. We'll find out together. Um, So what are you the most asked question we get at YRM is, what are you? Those of you who are in this faith, I'm sure you can relate in one way or another. Um, and I'm sure you've been asked that question by your family and your friends. And I will admit, it's, uh, it's a hard question to answer, actually. We are different in many ways from Christians, but we are the same in many other ways. I remember when we were looking into the possibility of a faith-based private school for our children, they asked what we believed in the Trinity. And this was a prerequisite for us being able to send our kids to the, to the school, that we believed in the Trinity. We, of course, said we do not believe in the idea that there are three persons and separate, separate entities being one being. We told the man we do believe in the Father and the Son, just like Scripture says, and we believe that the Holy Spirit is the essence and power of Yahweh and to our surprise he looked at us and said that's what I believe and now we were my wife and I were looking at each other like what like and since then she's had some conversations with many several of our Christian friends that actually believe the same thing so I don't know sometimes when people read the scriptures if what exactly you know when they hear trinity maybe there's different understandings but anyway that was our uh, that was the experience we had um Many Christians think we are Jews because we keep the Sabbath and the feast days, we eat biblically clean foods, we use the Hebrew names of the Father and Son, and we have many other similarities. I'd like to unpack that a little later on, but before I do, um, I want to give you some personal background of me. Um, I was born in the faith, I'm an ethnic mutt, I'm German, Norwegian. Just recently learned I'm part Italian and Irish, I think was from my mom's, um, and, and some Scottish, and then Swedish, and then on my mom's side, Jewish um, from the black family. And um, then I've, I've re- learned recently that on that Jewish side, there's Sephardic and Ashkenazi. And then I learned that I'm also part Middle Eastern. I think that showed up also. So it really, really interesting. I know Randy had the same thing, shows up on his Middle Eastern. So whatever that means, right? But um, so anyway, I have kept the Sabbath and the feast for over 40 years, my entire life. Um, and that's nothing for many people in this movement. I know my dad's kept it for 50-plus years, right? Um, Elder Sam Graham from the Assembly of Yahweh in Michigan, has, he was born in the faith. He's almost 80, or maybe he is over 80, um, so he has many decades on me and my father, um, so for him, he's, he's kept 80 feasts and that means well over 4,000 Sabbaths. So, you know, there's a, it, interesting when you put it, I guess, in that perspective. I don't know what pork tastes like, um, I don't know what shellfish tastes like, to be honest with you. I, I know what they smell like, I, but I don't know what they taste like, um. I've never kept any traditional holidays other than what's in the Bible except for Thanksgiving. Um, I have only observed the biblical holy days. Uh, But nowadays, more and more Christians are returning to the Hebrew roots of the Messianic faith. Or some, some even uh, big, well-known Christians are are keeping kind of pseudo-feast of tabernacles. Um, On one of my last trips to Branson with my family, I saw several people wearing shirts with the Hebrew names of uh, Yahweh and Yahshua. Um, I was also wearing a shirt with the Hebrew name Yahweh at that time, and I had a random man just walk past me and say, "Hey, nice shirt you know i 'm seeing people walk around with with their zeats and, and you know so you 're seeing more of an awakening um, to this more and more Christian churches are using yahweh 's name more songs uh, in the in the Christian world are are using yahweh 's name um, there 's even um, uh, more Christian bibles using yahweh 's name um, so it's it 's becoming more and more well-known for sure and people aren't as ashamed as they used to be um for for actually acknowledging and using it to be honest with you when i was a kid um there wasn't this new phenomenon though called the hebrew roots movement there was a rather large church called the worldwide church of god that was founded by herbert armstrong um we were not my family was never a part of that but uh They shunned anything Jewish or Hebrew, but they kept the feasts and Sabbaths. Um, There was the Jews for Jesus, and they called themselves Messianic, but we weren't quite on board with what they believed either. Um, In the entire world at that time, we had an assembly of Yahweh in Holt, Michigan with Elder Sam, like I told you about. We had the Cisco assembly in Texas. Um, There was a couple in Missouri, um, one in Pennsylvania. And for the most part, they were all relatively small, just, you know, a few dozen people in in attendance. And sometimes that was in attendance at the feast, too. Um, The assembly I attended had four kids, and my sister and I were two of them. So, dusty. And I guess you could call your brother a kid at that time. He was several years older, so maybe technically three, right? (laughs) We did have some visitors here and there. But, um, yeah, things were a lot different in those days but that's all I knew of of the USA. There could have been more, but that's all I was aware of at the time. Um, So for the most part, we were on our own. And uh, this created challenges. When I needed off from school for the feast days, Um, teachers couldn't quite figure us out. They didn't know what we were. Um, I loved athletics and sports, basketball especially, but I couldn't join the high school basketball team because unfortunately for me, the principal was also the varsity coach. And... um, my dad and I went to, to, to visit him and asked him if there was any possibility I could play, and he told us, no Saturdays, no sports. It was pretty much that simple. Unless you're going to play on Saturday, you're not playing here. So that was out for me. There was no proms either, because uh, almost all of that took place on Fridays or Friday evenings. Um, pretty much most school functions, for the most part, uh, it was out for me um, I see how good my kids have it, actually, today and with the programs that they're in. Um, But uh, I didn't have any of that when I was a kid. It wasn't quite the same. Um, So 20, 30 years ago, schools were a lot different. Um, Now they're a lot more accommodating, but definitely not in those days. I was simply called a Jew by my fellow classmates, um, and I'm sure they meant that as an unflattering title. Dusty, I think you were called the same thing. Dusty and I went to the same school. They called us Jews. They didn't understand us, um, which isn't really far off, honestly, but it wasn't quite what we, what we believed in. Um, it didn't really dawn on me until I was older that this faith causes a separation by its very nature. And I've come to learn that's not a bad thing. Yeshua warns us life may not be easy following him. If you turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, this records Yahshua's very words. You might notice in, if you have a, a Bible with red letters, it's in red. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did, not, I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Kind of chilling words there. Following Yahweh has always caused the separation. Um, Man by nature is rebellious. Yahweh says to Israel of old, you have been set apart as holy to Yahweh, your Elohim, and he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. And you can read that in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. Special treasure is a Hebrew word, segula, and it means a possession a wealth, or a jewel, and also has the meaning of peculiar. Um, When we follow Yahweh and obey him, we are like a special jewel to him. Some translations call his people peculiar, which really doesn't give the full meaning in the English. Um, So you could be a special treasure to Yahweh if you find Think of something that you have right now that means a lot to you. I know you have something, some special treasure to you, You probably spent a lot of money for it, maybe. Um, You may have, as a kid, you may have spent all your money for it. It costed you everything you have. That item is how Yahweh looks at those, you and I, that obey him and follow his word. It's a rare thing. And obedience is something we want to do. It's not something that he can force on us, which that's why that's so special to him. Yahweh gave us something special too. He gave us his son to die for us, to save us. So we are bought with a price, we hear, uh, we read in what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You are bought with a price, therefore honor Elohim with your bodies. We know that Yahshua's death purchased you and me with his blood on many, what many call as Calvary. Did you know that that hill called Calvary today, you hear that a lot in Christian circles, was originally called in the Aramaic language, which Yahshua spoke, Golgotha. And it means the place of the skull. It was, a, it was a stone hill, and that had a look of a skull. You can actually see it here. Um, when we were in Israel, we took some pictures. That's right near the garden tomb. And you can see that the, the look of it there. It's actually changed a little bit in the last maybe 100 years or so. Um, here's a older image of it. It's kind of hard to tell there, but you can still see that kind of that skull look that's believed by many to to be the actual hill right there where Yeshua died. Um, kind of chilling when you think about it. Um, so right near there is the garden tomb. You probably heard of that. Probably not the tomb of Yahshua, but we actually did some re- TV programs there. Um, You can look them up uh, with Elder Dwayne of Shalom Assembly. Back up there. So when you're baptized into his name, the only name for salvation, Acts 4.12 says, you are Yahweh's special treasure. His name, Yahshua, literally means salvation of Yah in the Hebrew. The name Jesus came originally from the name Yahshua, through evolution and bad translation from Hebrew to Greek and Latin. Um, I've heard a lot of people say his name, that, that name Jesus is from Zeus, so it's actually nonsense. That's not linguistically sound. It's literally just an evolution off the original Hebrew, and it's lost its meaning over time. Um, but back to the the Deuteronomy 14 where it says set apart as describing Israel. In Hebrew, this word is. Kadosh. The Hebrew says, Am Kadosh la Yahweh. You are a set-apart people to Yahweh. The New Testament has the same theme as the Old Testament and completes it. Notice 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says Yahweh. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Now, there are many unclean things spoken in Scripture. And um, In your free time, maybe read Leviticus 11, uh, where it describes a lot of these things, especially when it comes to what we eat, what's clean and unclean. If you follow Yahweh, you need to accept the fact that to be set apart means you are to be different from those around you. To be set apart means you obey him. You do what he says in the inspired word, both old and new. They are one book. I know we like to, to talk about old and new because, you know, it does put a line where Yahshua came to, to save his people, but they are a complete book and they work together. They, one side doesn't contradict the other. And with the idea that the law is against us, that certainly does contradict itself. But it may not be always easy to follow Yahweh. You'll never find anywhere in the word, and I challenge you to do this, where it says following Yahweh is easy. It never says that. It says the exact opposite. Following Yahweh However, it is for our good, and that's what we have to understand. And let me give you an example. Because scripture condemns it, we don't eat pork or unclean foods like shellfish. This is for our good. Yahweh didn't create his laws for simple do's and don'ts because he just wanted us to not do something. There's reasons behind it, and this is for our health and our well-being. It is well known that scavenger animals like pigs were made by Yahweh to clean the earth. It's not a bad thing. They're not bad animals, but their function is to clean the earth. They were never made for consumption. He never designed a pig to eat. A pig only has one stomach, and a cow has four. The reason Yahweh designed them like this is to clean out toxins in, in what they eat. This toxicity of the meat of a pig is much higher as a result than, a, than like let's say, a, a cow. <clears throat> you can see here... Um, You can look this up. This is well known common knowledge. There's trichinosis. Pigs carry a variety of parasites in their bodies and meat. And one of the biggest concerns with eating pork meat is trichinosis. Uh, You can get swine flu uh, passed through through swine. They harbor parasites and viruses. Um, And you can see over here what I just covered since the pig's digestive system operates rather basically, many of these toxins remain in its system to be stored. in their more than adequate fatty tissues ready for our consumption. You get an increased risk of cancer because of these toxins that are in the meat. So Yahweh tells us to not eat these things. It's not like He tells us this because He just wants us to just not eat it for the sake of not eating it. It's because He doesn't want us to develop cancer because they were never made to eat for our consumption. Um, now, if He said that in the Old Testament and now in the New, we see that. All foods are clean. Does that make any sense? Did did the the biology of the pig change? Of course it didn't change. It's still the same thing. The, the problem is we've misinterpreted scripture. So catfish, shrink, shrimp, lobster, all scavenger animals pass on toxins in their meat. And when you eat them, you also get those toxins, which of course is very unhealthy and... Um, If you follow Yahweh, you're going to be a healthier people. Another difference is our day of worship. We worship on a different day than the rest of the world. A Sabbath rest uh, of one in seven has been shown by science to be beneficial. We as humans need one day of rest. Um, In the New Testament, Matthew 24, Yahshua tells those in the coming end times who reside in Jerusalem to pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath day. Why? Why? Is there something going to happen on the Sabbath day? Is there something profound about that in the latter days? Possibly. We do not keep man's traditional holidays, but the holy days that Yahweh prescribes in the word. It is very unlikely Yeshua, or it's very likely, I should say, that Yahshua will return possibly on trumpets or maybe during the Feast of Tabernacles. If you look at the, um, um, like the uh, Hoshana Rabbah, for instance, um, there's parallels that show he possibly could come during tabernacles as well. I think it's very likely. I mean, we're, you come out of the world, we're all together. I mean, it makes sense, but it's, it could also be uh, trumpets. But the fact of the matter is keeping these days are important because something could definitely happen later on, um, and being, keeping Yah- Yahweh's moeds is very important. Um, also, I want to point out that Scripture says that these days are his days, they don't say there are days. They say they're his, his days. So, like Leviticus 23, 2 says, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of Yahweh, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. So, again, this, this isn't man's. This is Yahweh's. These are, these are the days he prescribes. Um, if you're not keeping these days that he's returned, or that when Yahshua comes back, I mean, that could be problematic. And these laws, of course, are for our own good. Today we hear teachings that his laws are against us. Would Yahweh tell his people to do something in the Old Testament and then on the flip side say don't need to do it? Does Yahweh change? Because scripture says Yahweh does not change. Yahshua did not come to remove Yahweh's laws, but man-made traditions that the Jews of his day were into. And I hope to make that point more clear in a minute. But back to the question what box do we fit in? What are you? A human reaction to something new or something they don't understand is to try to compare it to something familiar, right? We all do that. Um, I mean, court cases work like that, too. We look at previous court cases to interpret laws or to interpret new issues. We do the same thing all the time. We look at something familiar. So when they see something that reminds them of maybe Judaism, that they call us Jews, so we fit in the Jewish box, but that's not accurate, of course. Um, We have all sorts of people here. We have people that have primarily Christian backgrounds. I know most of you have primarily Christian backgrounds. Some have Jewish backgrounds, and others atheistic backgrounds. Some even have pagan backgrounds. Yahweh works with people with all backgrounds. I even have known a few with Muslim backgrounds. So this is the part of the sermon where we're going to do a little time travel. Great Scott, right? Great Scott. We're going to do some time travel. To understand our beliefs, we need to understand the history of Christianity because early Christianity is at the heart of our beliefs. This is because this is what we are trying to accomplish. The Old and New Testaments of the Bible should fit perfectly together, like a hand in glove. When you return to early Christianity, that happens. So who was Jesus? Jesus. To understand him, we need to begin with a paradigm shift. We have all been taught from a Greek vantage point. The Greek mindset would, have, would use the name Jesus because this name came from a Latinized evolution from his Hebrew name, Yahshua. Yeshua's brothers, if you go back to their Hebrew names, were Yaakov, Yossi, Shimon, and Yehuda. Pretty Hebrew-sounding names, aren't they? doesn't sound like a Greek. He shared the same name as Joshua of the Old Testament. A lot of people say, where do you get this name, Yahshua? Well, you've heard of Joshua. Well, there's no J in the Hebrew. His name is Yahshua. So Joshua becomes Yahshua, which in Hebrew literally means Yah saves. Several of the songs we sang today talking about salvation. This is what his name means. He, his name fulfills the role that he came to do. It's a contraction of the Hebrew word yasha. In Hebrew, yasha means deliver, and the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, or the short form, Yah, Yahshua. Hallelujah also shares this contraction. They call it the theophoric element, Y-A-H, at the beginning of words. Hallelujah. Hallel in Hebrew means praise. Hallelujah, praise, Yah. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of Christians don't understand what that means. You're actually using Yahweh's name in the word hallelujah. But the very description we get of Yahshua today is entirely incorrect. Here is a common uh, description of the Messiah. He's tall, feminine looking, with blonde, long hair, and light color eyes. The reality is far different. Yahshua was a Jew who primarily worked with wood and stone as a carpenter. According to anthropologists, the average Jew of his day stood between five foot to five and a half, or maybe five foot five inches tall. They were not tall people. Today's Middle Eastern males are averaging five foot four to five foot eight. So they haven't grown a whole lot, but they're even shorter in Yahshua's time. They had short hair as well. Um, Lice was a huge problem in the area and during Yeshua's time, at that time, and most had short hair. Uh, archaeological depictions of Jews during the first century corroborate this. This is a more accurate description of Yeshua. Of course, no one really knows what he looked like, but we do know that the average, what the average Jew looked like of his time in the first century. They were olive-skinned, with darker hair, the typical Middle Eastern of their day. Images and skeletons uh, do exist, by the way, so it's not like they're just randomly guessing. I mean, they can actually, you know, reconstruct their facial features and things today. It's pretty amazing, actually. Um, Scripture says in Isaiah 53, he didn't have have good-looking characteristics. Let's just put it that way. This is always how Yahweh works, however. He didn't choose Israel, right, because they were the greatest of all people. He chose them because they were the fewest of all people. Yahshua chose his disciples from the average and lowly men of his day and women. Um, they were fishermen. The, the tax collectors were hated in those days. So what does Yahweh do? He brings a tax collector on or Yahshua brings a tax collector on board. He was a Jew and followed the Jewish faith. He was not trying to start a new faith. And that is what I'm trying to get at here. I can't emphasize that enough. This is where much of the confusion starts with many of our Christian friends. This is very important to understand. He was removing man-made traditions, rabbinical traditions. The early believers never called themselves Christians. They called themselves saints. And you can look at that in the Bible. The term Christian, which isn't a bad term, by the way. it's It's simply a Greek term, Christianos meaning little anointed ones. This was given by the powers that be for the first time in Antioch, and you can read about that in Acts 11.26. It tells you that. If themselves themselves it was a a name given to them by the society in Antioch, which was, of course, a Hellenistic Greek city, um, and from there on this Greek title stuck. So this Hellenistic Greek city, the people in that area were calling them Christianos, Thinking that they were calling themselves something different um, just simply isn't true. Yahshua was not starting a new faith but returning to the faith of Abraham to its pure roots before all the oral traditions the Jews had added. The book Unity and Diversity in the New Testament by James Dunn was covered not long ago by a man named Paul Williams. Um, on his, uh, He's got a channel called Blogging Theology. Um, it's really interesting channel, where he uses academia and comparative religions to help interpret biblical theology. And uh, I thought this segment fits uh, well with the topic today, and he can, he can explain this a little better than you. This is four minutes, and I really urge you to, to listen to what he has to say here. This is very uh, pertinent to the conversation. Maestro? Maestro?
1: To the New Testament, when they study the text academically, whether at university or uh, uh, at home reading academic texts, is just how unorthodox and heretical the earliest Christian uh, beliefs were compared to the later beliefs of the Church. And I just want to share with you what some of these beliefs actually were, because uh, they are. I found them quite surprising when I first uh, read about them. And I'm going to use as my guide. Jimmy Dunn's book, Unity and Diversity in the New Testament, An Inquiry into the Character of Earliest Christianity. And Jimmy Dunn, as I've said before, uh, is a leading New Testament scholar, professor at the University of Durham. And he says in his book, uh, page 255, under the chapter, just how orthodox was earliest Palestinian Christianity, he says the following. The first Christians were Jews, Luke's account of the range of nationalities present at Pentecost, this is uh, the great falling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, where they, where they all receive the Holy Spirit. People from all the nations of the earth apparently are congregated there, but they were all Jews and proselytes. In other words, they weren't Gentiles. These were uh, committed, people committed to Judaism. And even though they believed that Jesus was the Messiah and risen from the dead, that did not alter their standing or outlook as Jews and Dunn continues they apparently continue to observe the law without question this is the Jewish law the 613 commandments given to Moses not interpreting their traditions of Jesus's words and actions in a manner hostile to the law nothing in what they understood about Jesus's teaching told them to reject the law Hence the Pharisees seem to have seen in them little or nothing of the threat which Jesus had posed, Acts 5.33 onwards. And not a few became members of the Jesus sect while still remaining Pharisees, Acts 15.5.21.20. Hence too the shock of the Cornelius episode to the Jerusalem believers. It had not occurred to them that faith in Jesus the Christ might make the purity law irrelevant, so they had no understanding from Jesus that he had abolished the law or made what was unclean clean in regards to food at all. He continues. They evidently continue to be firmly attached to the temple, the Jerusalem temple, attending daily at the hour, hours of prayer, Acts 2, 46 and 3, 1, regularly coming together there for mutual support and in order to teach and evangelize. The, the hour of prayer is the hour of sacrifice, Uh, It's not like going to church in the Church of England or Episcopalian Church for prayers. This is the temple was built for sacrifice, and that's why uh, it existed. Another characteristic was their distinctive belief in the imminent parousia of Jesus. That's the return of Jesus, the Son of Man. This uh, This belief, however, seems to have stayed within the framework of Jewish eschatological hope. This is probably the chief reason why they remained so firmly rooted in Jerusalem and centered on the temple. For the temple was the obvious focal point of the imminent consummation, as Malachi 3.1 clearly indicated. This would also explain why there was such a lack of concern for the Gentiles or for mission outside of Jerusalem amongst the earliest Jerusalem community. They didn't go into all of the nations to evangelize as later Christian tradition believed they did, they stayed in Jerusalem, they stayed amongst the Jews, as Jews. They were still only thinking in terms of Israel, Acts 1.6, 22 and following, and 2.39, all that are far off, which refers to the Jews of the diaspora. In short, he says, it is evident that the earliest community in no sense felt themselves to be a new religion distinct from Judaism. This is a really important point. Today, after 2,000 years of Christian tradition, we think of Christianity and Judaism as a completely separate and independent religions. But actually, the earliest community after Jesus ascended into heaven were Jews, practicing Jews, and within the Jewish faith.
0: <clears throat> in, <clears throat> in Scripture, the term Jew was used by the Apostle John in the New Testament for true believers. The evidence, this evidence puts this whole concept of early Christianity into the framework of first-century Judaism. We can see this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. Um, while John was writing to the assembly at Smyrna, he said, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I have known the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not but are the synagogue of Satan. Revelation 3.9 also uses the term Jew while writing to the assembly of Philadelphia, arguably the assembly that had the least flaws out of all the assemblies there. It says, to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, who who he opens no one can shut, and that he shuts no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut it, I know that you have a little strength, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. The term Jew is a unique term today. It's not just a religion, but it's also an ethnicity. We must remember that the tribe of Judah was only one of the 12 tribes of Israel, however. So am I saying that we are Jews and that we should call ourselves Jews? No. This would confuse us with modern Judaism with all its traditions and man-made baggage. Some of the stuff written in the Talmud, which records all the man-made Jewish oral traditions, is certainly not of Yahweh. And I, would con- I consider it disgusting, actually. I'm not even going to bring up some of it. But uh, that is another sermon altogether. If you are leaning towards Judaism, you need to understand they add just as much man-made traditions as the church did later on. Yahweh condemns man if he adds or subtracts to the word. Yahshua condemns this in scripture. You can read this in Colossians 2, which many confuse with Yahweh's laws. Yahshua here is condemning man's laws, which are called the handwriting of ordinances or dogma in the Greek. This leads me to the next piece of the puzzle. Judaism was not unanimous in its beliefs 2,000 years ago. I'll say that again. There was no harmony of beliefs among Jews when Yahshua walked this earth. It was actually a mess. Um, When we think of first century Judaism, we think of a high priest and the Pharisees, and they seem to have the whole lock on faith, right? When you watch these movies about the Messiah... But this simply was not the case. To understand this, you will then understand the climate and what many of the New Testament scriptures were dealing with. When Yahshua criticized religious Jewish leaders of his day, he was not criticizing them as an outsider looking in. He was criticizing them as a practicing Jew. And he was not just criticizing the Pharisees either. 2,000 years ago, Christianity did not exist as we know it today. The New Testament of your Bible, this half here, did not exist. The scriptures were the Old Testament. And around the time of Yahshua, 2,000 years ago, Islam didn't exist either. It's actually the youngest of the three major religions. But that's a whole other message as well. But to dissect Judaism in the first century, it was uh, certainly not a one-size-fits-all. 2,000 years ago, there was many troubled times. The Romans were... uh, beginning to uh, much more aggressively uh, oppress the Jews. Um, Jews were getting tired of a waiting Messiah to come free them from their Roman occupiers. To compound this issue, many Jews believed it was the end of days. With so so much turmoil, many Jews began to divide into different groups with various beliefs. The sect of the Sadducees were the part of the high priests, party of the high priests, I should say. They were the aristocratic families and had good relations with the uh, Roman rulers and occupiers in Palestine. They differed much with the Pharisees. These Jews denied the resurrection of the dead, the existence of spirits, and the afterlife. They also rejected oral tradition. We would have that, I guess, in common, emphasizing acceptance of the written law alone. It could be said they were sad, you see, since they denied the resurrection. I'm sorry, I know that was stupid. I had to say it though. The Pharisees, or uh, perushim in Hebrew, represents more of the common people. They saw the Sadducees as corrupt and collaborators with the Romans who oppressed them. They did believe in the afterlife. They followed the letter of the law, but added much more of their own laws and traditions called the oral law, written in the Talmud. It is uh, Important to understand, these added laws are not Yahweh's laws. I know I said that, but I want, to, I want to make that clear. These added laws were not the laws of Yahweh in the Old Testament. If you ever, ever watched the movie Fiddler on the Roof, you'll understand how much tradition means to the Jewish faith today. Maestro? Tradition. tradition. Right? I love that movie. <coughs> I'm trying to... <laughs> I'm, oh, there it is. Okay. And yet another sect of Judaism existed, and they were called the Essenes. They lived in seclusion in the desert of Qumran, and they lived an ascetic life in, a, in kibbutz-type communities. Um, they did not uh, own property. They believed in self-discipline and had a labor-intensive lifestyle. Some believe that they started as priests who rejected the corruption of Jerusalem, shunning temple worship and relationships with women, You could call them Jewish monks, I guess. Um, We have another sect of Jews called the Zealots. Um, Kanaim in Hebrew, they were an extreme political movement during the time of Yahshua, uh, who were trying to incite the people of Judea against uh, Roman rule. Acts one thirteen names the disciple Simon with the distinction Simon the Zealot. We know there's like Simon Peter and there's Simon the Zealot. You know, it's kind of like saying there's... a there's Allen of Missouri, and then there's Allen of Michigan or something, you know. They're given a distinction that there's two, two different people here. But but he had the distinction of being a zealot. Uh, when I was in Israel, uh, archaeologist Eli Shukran explained to us how a splinter group of the zealots called the Sakari would assassinate their political opposition. Coming up from behind the person with a long, slender dagger, they would stab, so that person standing away, they'd stab them right kind of Behind, up on top of the neck up under the head um, they would do it so quickly that the uh, murderer would just disappear into the crowd and by the time the guy that got stabbed stumbled fell to the ground the murderer was gone this happened all the time for those zealots that maybe were looking at the Sadducees for instance or, um, or others that were, that were uh, pro-Roman so it was, it was a crazy time during the time of Yahshua uh, in fact, the term "sicari" was a Latin term coined by the Romans called uh, dagger man. The term Sicarius later had the meaning of murderer in Latin. And where's Jose? See he here? And Jose, what does Sicario mean? Paid assassin. Even to this day in Spanish, that term Sicario exists. Um, So if you were a pro-Roman Jew living in Jerusalem, like many of the Sadducees, you might want to watch your back. Walk alone without bodyguards could be a deadly mistake. In fact, I should have showed you that. I was was supposed to go to that slide. There's uh, another, I mean, sometimes they just do it broad daylight. They didn't care if they got caught. These sects of uh, Judaism believed in Tuma and Tahara or pure and impure. This was a big deal 2,000 years ago and became large part of Judaism at that time. You could be impure for numerous things, touching a dead body, which we know that's scriptural, uh, touching certain animals, going to the bathroom. Um, and so all over the Holy Land, you will see here depicted, It's kind of see it in the shadow, what is called a mikvah, or ritual bath. And these dealt with impurities. They had to ritually cleanse themselves. They had to go down inside and and wash. Um, The Essenes were so worried about ritual purity that they wouldn't even go to the bathroom on Shabbat in an attempt to remain pure. So we see conflicts with the Messiah and his disciples and other Jewish sects regarding these rituals. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 7 actually deals with one. I'd like you to turn there. Mark chapter 7 verse 1 says the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Yahshua and some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. Notice that. When When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Yahshua, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unwashed hands? You see, they know they're they're Jews. They know they weren't starting some new faith. They're asking, why aren't you doing what the elders said? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Remember Colossians 2 I was talking about? Go read that sometime. It's talking about man-made traditions, not Yahweh's law. Um, You have let go of the commandments of Elohim and are holding on the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of Elohim in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother... Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to Elohim. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of Elohim by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Again, Yahshua called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone. I mean, this is probably a pretty big spectacle going on here. And understand this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going in To him, rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. He's not saying you can just eat pork. He's saying these things because you didn't wash your hands. That doesn't make the food unclean. They were they were eating biblically clean. Later on, there's some of this crept into the text. If you actually look at how it's translated, and the the context was not in clean and unclean foods. It was about washing hands. That the the Jews were saying they were unclean because they were they did not wash their hands. this was a big thing that was going on during the time of Yahshua. Um, in fact, I mean, to this very day there's certain synagogues that actually have a mikvah. It's one of the first things they build is a mikvah uh, in, in their uh, synagogue. A mikvah and a Torah scroll. <clears throat> so you can see how Yahshua had these just um, confrontations with, with these men that, that Turned the oral law into something that was from Yahweh, and it was never from Yahweh. So last but not least, we have the followers of Yahshua, later called Christians. They were a Jewish sect at the time, and they grew rapidly. Shown here uh, is almost certainly Peter's house. This is in Capernaum. Hang on just a second. It's in Capernaum, near the Sea of Galilee. This was the small house that later expanded and became a, a worship house for the early believers. It's an amazing find, and it's only meters away from the synagogue there. We were there. Um, now they had this hu- the, the Catholics built this huge, like, observatory on top, so you can walk up and you can look down inside. Uh, it's actually kind of neat. Um, but you can see the house in the middle, the circular house. Later on, they did an octagonal. They did octagonal-like uh, additions. You can see those octagonal additions. That's, you see a lot of octagonal churches later on in the Middle Ages and all that. It, uh, you can kind of see how it started. It almost, um, over time, um, grew. So right around that area, we actually recorded a TV program. This is kind of that, that um, Peter's house would be more to our, towards our right. The synagogue is kind of to our right kind of behind uh, Russ. You can see him sitting there. But um, we recorded a TV program there. It's called uh, Kapernaum Lessons from the Messiah. And on your uh, free time, you should uh, look that up on our YouTube channel. Um, I think it's pretty interesting. Out of all the rebellions, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and 2,000 years of history, only two Jewish sects remain today. And those are Christianity and Judaism. Both have evolved and contain many man-made traditions and teachings that are not found in the Torah, the Torah being like the first five books. Christianity today is not the same Christianity of the first century. I'm not trying to bash Christianity. I'm just saying it has, over time, adopted different practices that Yahshua and his disciples did not do. But uh, in that time, the Jews were expecting a messiah. Most Jews at that time believed in a coming Messiah. This was mentioned many times in the Old Testament. Many references deal with the Messiah having a strong arm and militarily-like presence, like you see in Numbers uh, 2417 or Psalms 27 to 9 or Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. So naturally, these Jews under Roman oppression were expecting a Messiah who comes in the form of a military leader to break the yoke of Roman oppression. This is what they were waiting for. Some Jews accepted this. That, that this Messiah wasn't like that, but most did not. They could not accept it. Yahshua's mission was much more than surface deep. He came to save the Jews, certainly. His name, Yahshua, Yahweh saves, means just that. The Messiah came to the Jew first, and then um, his apostles like Paul went to the Greeks scripture states with the Gentiles. Paul mentions this in Revelation 2.10, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The salvation Yahshua came to give and the salvation the Jews had in mind during the first century were two very different things. Because of this, most Jews just rejected him. He definitely fulfilled the ancient prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, it's, an, it's amazing that the, prophet, that the prophet Isaiah even shares a similar name, actually, Yeshayahu, which in Hebrew means salvation of Yah, and comes from the same roots that Yahshua gets his name from, Yasha and Yah. You can look it up. So this, if, if you read Isaiah 53, and just because of interest of time, I was going to read it, but I don't want to go too long. Um, This book was recorded in the great Isaiah scroll, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is a prophecy. If you read it, it talks about Yahshua. It's definitely Yahshua. This was written 200 years before Yahshua existed. So it's not like this was written later. We know that this coming Messiah, our Yahshua, our Messiah fits everything you read in Isaiah 53. Yahshua came to break the yoke of sin and disobedience, not the Romans. Which is what Yahweh has always desired of mankind, and that is Israel. Israel kept getting into trouble countless times. He desired obedience, not disobedience. Yahshua's blood could remove sin, not just cover it. He truly could make all things new, it says in Revelation. The issue was and has always been with mankind sin. So, what is sin? And this is an important question, and it's, if you really think about it, it, it's the root of everything here. Um, is sin not believing in the Messiah? Is sin not being a nice person? I mean, think about it. What is sin? Well, we don't have to guess. 1 John 3, 4 tells us exactly what it is. And this is in the New Testament. Everyone who sins breaks the law. Which law? The only law in existence. It's the Old Testament. There wasn't anything else, right? Um, in fact, sin is lawlessness. The law is Yahweh's instruction in the Old Testament. The law or the Torah is more than just the Ten Commandments, much more. The sacrificial system was a result of sin. Blood sacrifice was to cover sin. The Levitical priesthood would sacrifice thousands of animals. You know, I mean, some on the Feast of, during the Feast of Tabernacles, thousands of bulls. Um, every year to cover sin. The prophet Samuel said in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two, does Yahweh delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? To obey is much better than sacrifice, and to heed is much better than the fat of rams. You see, killing these animals wasn't because Yahweh just loved to see animals die. He didn't want to see his creation die. It was to show man that he just sinned, and now blood had to be spilled to fix it. And that was the issue. Um, The implication here is simple. Obey Yahweh, and you don't need to shed innocent blood. Obeying Yahweh's voice goes back to the very beginning. The creation narrative in Genesis, beginning with the Sabbath. So Yahweh finishes creation... And he rests on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, setting in motion a covenant with man. In the original Hebrew tongue, it says, Elohim at yom Hashavi kodesh. Then Elohim blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The Sabbath is and has always been a perpetual covenant. And it's the very first thing that Yahweh asked man to do. Um, notice Exodus 31, 16. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. Berith olam in Hebrew means a perpetual covenant, covenant. The Hebrew word olam has a meaning of going into the future. It's more than just the Sabbath, though. This is just the first thing mentioned that Yahweh requires of man. The first five books, known as the Torah, mentions many other commands. The feast days clean foods. None of this was ever meant to be done away with. The, um, these are for our good and for our health and, our, and commanded by Yahweh for a perpetual covenant for our prosperity. Yahweh wants us to prosper. He wants us to be healthy. Yahshua tells us in his very words in Matthew 5.17, and I urge you to read this, Yahshua's very own words, quote, it's going to be in red, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. What what did everyone say he did? He abolished the law, right? He's like, don't even think I did. He literally says it. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What does that mean? Does that mean I didn't come to do away with them, I came to do away with them? No. When you fulfill something, you do it, right? You've got to fulfill my obligue here. Now, when I walked in here, I looked up and looked like heaven was there to me. I mean, right? I think this is the earth, so... I mean, if, if, if heaven and earth is still here, then the law is still here. Then Yahshua, the smallest letter, he keeps going here, which is amazing to me. It's like, it's, in case you're confused, I'm going to keep on dissecting this even farther. Don't think I got rid of it. It says, and remember, this is the New Testament. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any... Nothing's changing. Nothing changed. <clears throat> the KJV says, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. Now, I'm going to give you guys a little Hebrew lesson. So you understand when Yahshua says, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. On the screen there on the left, you actually can, you can see the word Elohim. Now, Hebrew is written from right to left. You have the Aleph, Lamed, Hay, Yod, and final Mem right there. See that Yod? See that? In fact, we have, here's a Yod right here. Here's a Yod right here. You guys see that? that That's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That is known as a jot. Now, if you look, there where the arrows pointing. You see we have, I don't know if I, this is not a laser pointer, is it? Darn it. But you see the, where the arrow's pointing, arrow's pointing in Hebrew at what is known as the chet. Everybody do that for me. Get a little phlegm in your throat. Chet, chet, that's the chet. Right? To the right of that is the hay That has an H sound. The het has, a, I guess if you were to spell it out like K-H, het and the hay. You, you see how they look almost identical? You see how that little point right there connects it? See there's a little gap on the hay on the right? That's a tittle. So at the very top, you see how the, on the top left, that's a bet. Actually, technically a, a vet because there's no doggish. But on the top left, that's a bet. The top right is a cough. They look almost identical, don't they? You see that little bottom right piece that kind of jets out? That's a tittle. That distinguishes the two. So at the bottom, you see on the right, the bottom right, that's a dalet. That has a sound of a D. And the left, that's a resh. that has a sound of an R. You see how on the resh, you see how there's no little piece that comes out on the the top right of it? It just kind of goes into the top, kind of curves into the top. And on the right, you see the dalet has a little piece that sticks out? That's a tittle. <clears throat> now that I've explained that to you, <clears throat> let's go back and read it. One jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. I didn't write the book, that's what it says. <clears throat> so, so the Torah teaches the Sabbath, clean and unclean foods, the feasts, and much more. And then Joshua continues and makes his shocking statement, so you will not misconstrue his very words. Now he keeps going. I know that sounds crazy, but he keeps going. If, if you still didn't understand what he said, he says this, quote, therefore, anyone who sets aside, and this is in your New Testament, who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what have we done today? We get rid of Yahweh's law. We get rid of the Sabbath. We get rid of clean and unclean foods. The exact opposite of what Yahshua tells us. Yahshua came to save his people from their sins. Sins or disobedience. So we need to follow. We need to understand what Yahshua was doing. Why he was here what was he accomplishing? Um, understanding Judaism at that time, understanding traditions and adding, adding to the word. This is what we've got to understand. Yahshua said, when they're, they're wanting a, a religious leader, or a, a military leader, slash religious leader, let's say, to throw off Roman oppression. Right? But Yahshua says, when they're talking about a tax taxation, he says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. He didn't care. He didn't care what this it was it was be, way beyond what, what they had thought at the time. Roman opposition or uh, occupation was a punishment from Yahweh for Israel's disobedience, just like Babylon before them. Israel had broken Yahweh's covenant with one simple word, three-letter word, sin. Sin has always been at the root of the problems. Sin is breaking Yahweh's laws for mankind. Yahweh says, hey, this is what, here's my word. This is what I want you to do. And man's like, yeah, no, I don't don't think I'll do that. I think I'll do it myself. I'll I'll do my own thing, you know. The new or rather renewed form of Judaism taught by uh, Yahshua went beyond skin deep. This was pure faith. It removed the man-made tradition, customs, and the added law that perverted it. Man's laws are not Yahweh's laws, and man's ways are certainly not Yahweh's ways. We must understand that. This was pure religion. This goes back to the faith of Abraham, the promise, the covenant that Yahweh had made with Abraham, not adding or taking away from the words of Yahweh, because this would pervert his word. Are we greater than Yahweh that we can add on things into his word? Are we? I mean, think about that for a second. Yahweh, the very creator of the universe, writes a, a instruction for us, and we think we can add to it. It's like it's not good enough, so we're going to make it a little better, I guess. you know. I mean, that's a perversion. This is what Yahshua was against. We're certainly not smarter than Yahweh, I know that. This renewed form of Judaism still kept the Sabbath and feast days. They didn't eat pork and unclean animals. We know that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of theologians, Christian theologians that will, that'll freely admit this. You can look this up online. Um, it's all over the place. Um, as Christianity grew and changed, many of these Torah practices were removed and replaced with traditions from Rome and various other beliefs at the time. And um, it's been changing ever since. <clears throat> this um, influence began very early on, and we can see this already in Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Amazingly, if you read Jude chapter 1, verse 3, it's right there in the text. Jude, or his Hebrew name, Yehuda, was Yahshua's brother. And he writes, not long after Yahshua's death, quote, dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to Elohim's holy people, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are unrighteous people who pervert the grace of our master into a license of immorality and deny Messiah Yahshua our only sovereign and master. I mean, this is, this is like mere a decade or two afterwards. Um, all this was already happening right away things started changing. So add 300 years to that, let's say. Let's add 300 years to Jude. What do we get? We have the church council of Laodicea. You know, the whole council, where even the Trinity was ratified. They had, no, there wasn't an agreement at this time. They all, all these bishops met together and a lot of them didn't agree. It wasn't just like Yahshua died, everyone believed. All this stuff had to be hashed out later. So 300 years later, we get the council of Laodicea where they're hashing all this out. And the side that didn't want the Sabbath won. Quote, Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor. And as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out. So we got 300 years later, we got Christians keeping the Sabbath still. And and at this point, they had to do something about it. It was becoming out of vogue at this point. So that's 300 years after Jude. Let's add on 1,700 more. The Roman church gradually changed their beliefs, let's say more like 500, I guess we're talking about the Middle Ages, and they started a campaign of anti-Semitic teachings. They lost their identity. They saw themselves as replacing Judaism. The Jews were responsible for the murder of Yahshua, they claimed, which of course is not true. We're all responsible for the murder of Yahshua. This drove a wedge even farther between those people and Judaism. So back to the original question. What box do we fit in? Are you Jews? Are you Christians? So here's the answer you've been waiting for. Drum roll. We're in the middle. (laughs) We weren't expecting that, right? Well, we are. I mean, so I like to call us, I think I like to call us the faith of Abraham. Brother Michael Bannock says we practice the oldest religion. And I I think I, I like that. I think that kind of fits. We try to practice. We're doing the best we can. We're not, we, we're not saying we're perfect, but we are looking to the word. We're trying to get rid of man-made tradition. We're trying to get back to pure Christianity. That's what we're tr- trying to do. We're not saying we're perfect, but we're merely trying to follow the Messiah. So I know some people like to call us messianics, but a lot of messianics, like the Jews for Jesus, they don't use the names. So we don't quite fit there. Um, we believe in the Old and New Testaments and that they work fluidly together. The New is simply a continuation of the Old. We do not see opposition but continuity. The opposition is from misinterpreting the covenants Yahweh made with Israel and the relationship of how Gentiles are grafted in. We do not believe that the church replaces Israel, but that we all can be grafted into that promise. These covenants, when Yahweh makes a covenant, he doesn't change, Right? He didn't make a new covenant that would change the old, necessarily. He added to it. He allowed us to be able to, in this new covenant, to be able to be grafted in. We believe there is room for everyone. You do not need to be Jewish to have salvation. We do not believe if you are Jewish, you are any more important than a Gentile. Remember, it was a mixed multitude that left Egypt under Moses. We are all one in Messiah Yahshua, and there are 12 tribes, Judah being only one. More than likely, every one of you sitting here has a tie to one of the 12 tribes. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. We all come from eight people who left the ark after the flood. We are a very diverse congregation. I know we are here, and and especially in our walk. We have all shades of skin color and ethnicities, and that's the way the truth of Yahweh works. He calls all people. No one person is better than anyone else. No ethnicity is better than anyone else. Yahweh created man to obey him, and we're all part of that creation. We believe we need to study the Bible, but be on guard. Use the word to... We do not, but study ideas and concepts to divide the word of truth. We do not want to live in an echo chamber where we only hear what we want to hear. Brother Randy gave an excellent message about a month ago called uh, Get Out of the Echo Chamber, and I recommend if you missed that message to look it up. Our modern culture is increasingly becoming an echo chamber. Political correctness and ideology have permeated our culture. We have lost the concept of open dialogue and debate. We as a society don't want to hear new ideas or challenges to our beliefs. Our educational institutions have become indoctrination camps pushing agendas and humanistic religion. We now have safe spaces where people can go where they don't hear other ideas um, or challenge their paradigms. We have sadly convinced ourselves as a culture this is a good thing. We reject such ideas here. Um, How can you grow if you cannot compare? If, If you think you have all the truth, I can tell you if you think you have all the truth, you don't have all the truth. Religion is no different. Um, remove your comfort zone and be willing to test your faith. Nothing's wrong with that. That's what the noble Bereans did in the New Testament. We should always feel confident of our beliefs. We should always know that we're following Yahweh. We don't have anything to worry about if we're going to test it. This is how we grow. So let's all strive to return to the faith that Yahweh promised to, the father, to our father Abraham that we can all be grafted into the true faith that Yahweh desires and wants all men to be a part of. And uh, I'll leave you with uh, 2 Peter 3 9. Go ahead and read that on your free time. May Yahweh bless.